All right, well, um, we were supposed to be starting uh, Trinitarian fallacies today, but Jeremy said he really likes to teach Trinitarian fallacies. And he said the same thing about the incommunicable attributes. And I said, well, I don't care. I want to teach those. So I taught those. So instead of teaching Trinitarian fallacies, we will do a review of the Trinity so that going into the understanding of the fallacies, we'll have a, a solid foundation because there's no way, there's no better way to identify error than knowing the truth. So we will pray and then jump into that and we'll we'll test you guys. We've got a bunch of seasoned vets in here. We'll we'll test you. There we go. All right, Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the the truth of your word. We thank you for the the inconceivable idea of the Trinity, um, for the truth of the Trinity. We pray that you help us to have a better understanding of it and um, of you, and that we would be able to um, go to Scripture to defend that um, apologetically, and that we would be able to have a, a greater appreciation of who you are. God, I pray for the, the other classes, um, that you would be working in the hearts and minds of those who are in those classes, especially of the youth, and for those who aren't here, who are traveling, that you'd be with them, and uh, above all, that you'd be high and lifted up, not only in this place, but in each one of our hearts. pray this in your name. Amen. All right, so, again, we're going to test you a little bit today. What is the Trinity? How would you explain the Trinity? Trinity is true and living God's self-revelation of who he is and his nature. And the Trinity is here we go, composed of one being and three persons who are eternal. Co equal yeah. and uh, co powerful, all, all that stuff. All that stuff. All that stuff. And um, the, the Godhead is, with the three persons, it's composed of the relationships between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They have different um, purposes, roles, yeah. Awesome. Good. All right. So Trinity is made up of these two different parts of the word, right? So we have Trinity or Tri for three persons, as you mentioned. Um, and then Unity, talking about how there is one God. And you use the word being, right? Yes, sir. For essence or substance, is that what you said? Essence. Essence. Is substance a good word? Yeah, substance is a good word. Um, the the Greek word means stuff at its most basic foundational level. Um, just stuff. I think we'll probably get into that next week, talking about homoousius and homoousius. Um, going back to the second, third, fourth centuries, that was a word that um, was surrounded by controversy. So homo um, means the same, and then usius is, or usia is the, the word that we get being, or substance, or stuff, or essence from. Um, so that was part of what really initiated the debate between how, how the relationship of Jesus and the Father take place. Um, those first few centuries were all about the, the personhood of Christ and who the deity of Christ. And is he of the same substance or a different substance from the Father? What? Were you going to say something? No, I was wrapping my mind around that question. What was that question? I don't think I asked a question. Okay, okay you're good. <laughs> I think you did. I did? I was getting ready to. I was going to ask, what are the... So I was anticipating. I was going to say that. <laughs> boy. What are the, the different major camps of um, worldview or world religions that we've, we've covered and talked about so far? 
theism. Okay. It's composed of monotheism, polytheism, panentheism, and pantheism. Good job. So theism. Um, and what would somebody who's not a theist call themselves possibly? Atheist. Okay. Deist. Yeah. And so atheist would deny God, right? And deist would say there is a God, but he's impersonal. Um, what about people who believe in a, a multiplicity of gods? Polytheists. Polytheists. I was going to say plurality, but that was too close. So polytheists. And then in between polytheists and uh, theists, we talk about another subset. Do you guys remember? What, what's that? No, we would be monotheists, right? Yes. A particular flavor of monotheists. Trinitarian monotheists. Yeah. So, so what, what, what was your question? In between polytheism and uh, theism. Panentheism. Yeah, because I would say that God is everything or in everything. Um, so in the, the 19th century, there was the, the big um, scientific exploration that was going on, and Charles Darwin had his theory of evolution that was moving through the works, right? And there was some dude in Germany named Hegel, and he took and he applied this, this theory of evolution to theology, and he came up with this whole school of theology where he posed that um, that there was a, a natural progression in every religion, that every religion started out with um, an animistic view. What is animism? Animism is the idea that, I'm gonna get this wrong. Um, you got it. That the gods are manifest themselves as animals, um, and that they, it's it's sort of a like a pantheon of gods. So, for example, the Native Americans had animistic ideas, spirit, yeah, whatever, spirit animals, and yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, so different animals have some kind of deity in them or, or the trees or um, you talk about the, the Asherah poles or um, what are the, the Native American poles, totem poles, totem that poles. kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, that's all animistic, right? And so this guy, Hegel, he proposed that every religion started off in some kind of animistic sense. Remember, he's working with this presupposition of evolution, that everything progresses um, and evolves and betters itself. And so every religion, he said, would start with animism, and then it would naturally move into polytheism, where they had a, a plurality of gods. And then he said, if that religion happened to progress or evolve beyond that point, that it would move to henotheism. We talked about that a little bit last week or the week before. What is henotheism? Yeah, so it would say that there are multiple gods, but there's one god that we are primarily concerned with. Um, a lot of people would look at Egypt and they would say, well, they were monotheistic because they had their one god, Ra, that they, they worshipped. But they would be closer to, to henotheistic because they had Ra, but they had all these other gods that they recognized too. Or you look at the different gods that are mentioned in the Bible. Um, you look at um, Baal, of, who's the god of the Canaanites, or Molech, who's the god of the Ammonites, or Dagon, who's the god of the Philistines, and then you have Yahweh, who's the god of the Israelites. And people would, like this guy, Hegel, he would say, well, they each had their own god, and they would recognize other gods, and so they kind of progressed out of animism to polytheism, henotheism, and then ultimately to monotheism. Um, but these other nations that would surround Israel, they would have that mentality that, well, this is the God of our area. Um, and you remember when the Ark of the Covenant was stolen 
And they said, well, we need to appease that god, so we're going to take and we're going to form these these five rats and five boils, is that what it was? And then put it back in the ark and send it as kind of offering to that god over there, even though that's not the god that we recognize and we worship. That's henotheistic. Um, we mentioned how um, Mormonism is, is henotheistic, practically, that we have one god who we're concerned with, the god of this world, but there are million, billions of other gods, and in fact, we can become gods. Um, and so how can we disprove from Scripture this guy's theory that even the Bible progresses through this kind of um, system of, of development and evolution? <coughs> I don't want to <laughs> go for it. We got All a small right. class. All right. Um, that's baloney. Because right from the very beginning, God is depicted as being one. Um, and yet, um, it says that God's Spirit hovers over the deep. Um, we will make man in our image. In other words, the point I'm trying to make is that monotheism is not just later introduced into scripture. It's there right from the very beginning, from the start to end. From the oldest book, which is Job, to the newest book, which would be Revelation. It's not, it's baked in. It's the, it's the way God depicted himself. There is no hint of animism or henotheism or any of that. Plus, the, the size is the, there isn't anything in existence that we're aware of that he did not create or in himself. Right. So, if you have to be created, you're not very much of a God. Amen. Yeah, so right from the very beginning, he said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? Um, and I think the, the most obvious point, at least for me, um, is in Exodus 20, looking at the Ten Commandments. And the first commandment is, you shall have no other gods before me, right? Um, and while some people might look at that and say, well, he's admitting that there are other gods. In fact, I think during Jeremy's debate with Quaku, Quaku said that, right? Well, there are no other gods before me. That means that there are none that are in front of me, but maybe there are some that are on my level, or there are some that aren't quite as powerful as as Yahweh. But when he says, well, there are no other gods before me, he's saying there are no other gods in my presence at all. There are no other gods who exist. And we know from looking at the incommunicable attributes that um, God is omnipresent, right? So if there are no other gods in his presence and he is omnipresent, then there are no other gods. And we have a, a number of verses that say straight out that there are no other gods. Is there any other savior? Is there any other rock besides the Lord Yahweh? And he says, I know of none, which is great. What's up, Walker? Why did you decide to wear my shirt today? <laughs> you got the test. Oh, all right. Well, I like your shirt. That's why I decided to copy you. <laughs> just like me. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I do like you. All right. So if we are saying that monotheism was from the very beginning, it didn't progress, it didn't develop, it didn't grow. And yet, Andy, you talked about the, the spirit of God hovering over the waters. And we can even look in that same chapter that we referenced and um, look at, at verses and sentence structure that we looked at before and see how... Um, God said that he will make man in, in our image, right? And he speaks of a plurality. And we speak of ourselves as Trinitarian. You said three persons in, in one being. Explain to me why we're not talking about some kind of three-headed God or three gods who are distinct. Okay, I can do that, I think. Okay. So he says, our, plural, one single image. It says his name, the next is three, Yahweh. Right? I am. Mm -hmm. And he says, um, Deuteronomy 6 4, the Shema, Hero Israel, Lord our God, Lord is one. So this still is one, not three headed because the different roles are independent. Uh, the um, son in Proverbs 30, the son shows up. 
who is your son? That's a separate person. And then uh, the son is given in Isaiah 9. All of those spirit hovering is deity. Uh, the son is deity. And then the father shows up in, where was we at here? Father shows up in Matthew 5 and is glorified. John 1.18 is glorified there as well. So that is not really shown as not three-headed though, is it? Let's see. And um, so there's a, a difference. Oh, the roles. Where's we going with the roles on there? The different roles. And they independently show up at the baptism of Jesus. Not independently, but at the same time. So, um, that's an addendum to what Travis was saying. Hebrews 1 talks about that the Father talks about the Son and says that your enemies will be your footstool, O Lord. Yeah. The Father speaking to the Son. So God the Father is speaking to the Son and says, basically, you are God Almighty. Mm-hmm. Right? Your throne of God is forever. Your throne of God is forever. Amen. Um, the Spirit, and I'm sorry I don't know the scriptural reference, but the Spirit is spoken of as being a person. And it's being, you know, uh, Acts 5, yeah. right, with Ananias and Sapphira, where Peter says to both of them, you haven't lied to men, but you've lied to God. God, yes. He's speaking specifically about the Spirit. So, in other words, the Spirit is a person and is God. Um, All right. God he's, not a, he's not a force. Not a force. Not some amorphous thing, but an actual person. You know. And how do we define person? What is a, a person? Time out five seconds. Colossians okay. one fifteen. Image of the invisible God is Jesus. No three heads, both. No three heads. Nope. boy. <laughs> All right. Took me a little bit. Good one. No, you're good. good. And two nine also goes right along with that. Fair Colossians two nine and one fifteen. Amen. All right. So how do we define person when we say that the Holy Spirit is person, Jesus is a person, the Father is a person, we have three persons and one God. What does that mean? How do we define person? Roles. Well, my, my dog has a role right now. It's to stay at home and protect the house. <laughs> my dog's not a person, right? I don't know what, how much that thing's going to do. <laughs> <laughs> not the chihuahua, the other one. More, more like an alarm than a guard. <laughs> so aside from role, what makes a person? Thinking, interacting, reasoning. Personality. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Reality yeah. helps. Reality helps. Taking your bag. There you yeah. go. So personality. So oftentimes, especially around here, you have to define what you mean when you say that there are three persons in one God, because we're not talking three humans, right? But we can have the tendency to to go that way, especially if you're not theologically trained, um, you hear person, you think, okay, well, Walker is a person, Brittany's a person, these are, are people, well, they are, but they're specific types of people, they're human beings, uh, when we're talking about Trinity, we're not talking about human beings, we're talking about persons who have personality, which is made up, like you said, Travis, of uh, intellect, emotion, and will, is how I remember it, uh, those three aspects, intellect is the ability to, to think, to reason, um, to be rational, right? And then emotion, you have true feelings and, and the ability to, um, to, to feel and, and interact on a personal level. And then will or, or volition to do something of your own accord. Um, my, my dog doesn't have any choice but to sit at home and guard the house right now, right? That is his role because that's what we have decided, right? He doesn't have a will of his own, um, not in a, a personality type way that we're talking about, at least. 
So, yes? No? We have a finish here, so. Um, go ahead. Well, there are more features of personality than, than just those two. Doesn't morals come into that? And guilt, which is a product of morals, I guess. Because you know, our dogs do have personalities. And different dogs and cats, we say they have personalities because you can differentiate one from another. Even our cows have personalities. Yeah, in, cats. In the sense. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> cats are uniformly evil. Sorry, no one played. Personality. Yeah. To me, the cow is the lowest form of critter. <laughs> <laughs> Not when it's distinct amongst all of God's creations. We are made in his image, made in his likeness. And so we have a, a conscience within us, right? We have the ability to um, to think and reason, I guess. So the, the intellect aspect of that, um, while maybe animals might have it to a degree, certainly not to the same degree that we have it, being made in the image of God. Um, and yeah, the... Yeah, we could be creative in a creature sense before you have... Um, we can think um, abstractly, which I don't think we can catch on as doing that. Anyway, there's a lot of content to the word person, personality. So we have to be careful to uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Distinguish. Well, the differentiate. Succinct. We have to be. We have to be <coughs> Full other definitions as we can. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So I've heard um, James White um, talk about the difference between being and persons. And granted, I still have a not a thorough understanding, but you know, he's like, we understand that things can have being without having personhood. So, for example, if you take a brick, no one would argue whether or not a brick has a person yet, right? You can take a brick, you can throw it through a window, it'll break the window. So, there's something there. But there is no person associated with it. So, distinguishing between person and being is it's very important no matter where you are, but it is especially important here. Because that is, you know, I've heard it said that all non-Christian cults um, begin with the misunderstanding of the nature of God, and particularly, often, a misunderstanding of the nature of Christ. Because if you have a true understanding of who Christ is, it's kind of hard to go wrong. Yeah. Because if you know who the Son is, right, then you know who the Father is, you know what, who the there you go. Who the spirit is, right? Um, <clears throat> but being able to distinguish that, you know, this has being, but there is no personality to, to this cup. One being, three persons. Yeah. That's that's the. And again, I, it's like Jeremy said one time. Will I ever completely <clears throat> completely understand this? Absolutely not. My mind is incapable of wrapping itself around that. I have to accept the scripture that God has given, his self-revelation, who he is, and what he is, mm -hmm. right? So. Yeah, it's the only way we can know anything is because it's been revealed to us, right? We don't have that knowledge in and of ourselves. Right, um, it's and not I need Everybody it. else, um, usually that's where they, they start, right? We're 
we're all appealing to some kind of authority, um, whether that's science or um, time often, um, and people will appeal to themselves as their own authority. They will be self-authenticating in what they declare to be true, but we appeal to a perfect, infallible God who has revealed himself to us through scripture and nature. The only and, objective standard. Absolutely. As you mentioned, when people are attacking this idea of Trinity, first of all, they usually don't have a proper understanding of what we mean when we say Trinity, so we have to correctly define that. Um, because they have this concept, this idea of some kind of three-headed God, or that we are tri-theists, or um, tri... Oh, what is it? Um believe in three gods. So, polytheists. Huh? Polytheists. Yeah, it would be. Polytheists. Yeah, tritheists, but not yeah. Trinitarian. So not triunity, but tritheists. Um, that we believe in three gods, and we have to explain to them, well, that's not what we believe. That's not what we mean when we say that we believe in a trinity. Um, and then after they understand, if they fully understand what we mean when we say that we are Trinitarians, um, they don't tend to attack the, the deity of the Father, um, kind of lay aside the, the Holy Spirit and don't really focus on the Holy Spirit being God, but they focus in on, on Jesus and they want to say, well, Jesus was not God, and, and here's why. So, from Scripture, what passages can we use to quickly show somebody, we've already mentioned several, that Jesus is God? John 1. John 1. Colossians 1. Hebrews 1. All right, all the ones. So those are three great ones, John, Colossians, and Hebrews. <laughs> let's go ahead and let's look at Hebrews 1, because that is one of the best places to go to prove the deity of Christ, especially with a Jehovah's Witness. Um, I've sat down with several Jehovah's Witnesses and gone through Hebrews 1, and you want to see somebody squirm. That's how you get them to squirm. Um, and, and twist Milan scripture, and it'll happen if you go there. All right, so Hebrews 1, um, and pay attention to, to who's talking and who the pronouns are referring to as we go throughout here. Um, and what I've done in my Bible is I've underlined all the times that it's talking about the Father and circled all the times it's talking about the Son, and it, it makes it easier. And sometimes um, it... It takes a second look to, to realize who it's talking about just because there's so much dialogue going on. So I would recommend maybe doing that in your own Bible or at least in your own mind. So God, after he, that is the Father, spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his, the Father's, Son, speaking of Jesus, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And so in that those first two verses, um, we see something that's very applicable to, to the Latter-day Saint culture, right? That we're not to look to prophets, um, we're not to look to, to modern revelation, but he has spoken to us through his son. Um, also for um, Pentecostal movement type stuff, right? He's spoken to us through his son, not through... Um, these these other different things, these these radical gifts, he has spoken through his son. We have one revelation in the written word. Verse three says, "And he, who is that he referring to? Jesus. Jesus. And he, Jesus, is the radiance of his. Who is that? The Father. The Father. So he, Jesus, is the radiance of the Father's glory, and the exact representation of the Father's nature." And he upholds all things by the word of his power. What is that? Upholding all things by the word of his power. It keeps it, everything together. Everything that is aware of is maintained by his power. All mm -hmm. existence is held together by Jesus' hand. Colossians 1, 17, I think, right? It says that in him all things are held together. In him all things consist. Um, and that is absolutely something that is being done by by God, right? Nobody outside of the transcendent creator himself can hold all things together, can keep everything together. And so looking back to the, the attributes of God, and we'll do that here in a moment, we can see that these attributes are shared in the one being of God, 
by these three different persons um, who, who are God. And so um, he upholds all things by the word of his power when he had made purification of sins. And he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, symbolizing it's done, right? It's finished. There's nothing else to do. So that's a good uh, Catholic verse that he doesn't need to keep making uh, sacrifice for sin continually. Um, you see later on throughout the book of Hebrews, but it is finished. Sacrifice once for all. He doesn't go in the temple year after year as they did in the Old Testament, but he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And again, we see a, a distinction in persons there. So he, Jesus, sat down and majesty on high, um, referring to uh, the Father. And there's a distinction there. Having become as much better than the angels, as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. What is it that, that Jehovah's Witnesses believe about Jesus and his personhood, who he is. He is Michael, the archangel, right? And it says right here that he has become much more better than the angels. What do we do with that word become? So is he not better than the angels before? Is he just better than the angels now? Is he changing? Is he progressing? So after his incarnation, after his work on the cross, um, again, after he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, um, he he takes up that glory that he had with the Father beforehand, right? As we read in John 17, verse 5. And look over at Hebrews 2, verse 9. It says, but we do see him, that's talking about Jesus, and you can know that from the context, or if you just had it circled in your Bible, then you can know <laughs> because it's circled. And we do see him who is made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. And get to the, the end, tasting death for everyone, we'll get into a different soteriological question, right? Um, uh, for... Calvinist especially, is he talking about everyone or um, just the elect? But we won't get into that today. But uh, being made for a little while lower than the angels because of the suffering of death. I'm talking about the humility that he took upon himself. Um, another great passage that Jehovah's, Jehovah's Witnesses like to take and twist is Philippians 2. Talking about the humility that Jesus took upon himself who didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. Um, and that is uh, the answer to the very question that they raise when they want to take you to Philippians 2. Because they'll take you to these same passages that you want to go to to disprove them. They'll go there of their own accord, and they'll twist and malign them and make them say things that they don't say. And so you need to look at the full context. Well, why, did, why is it that Jesus didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped? Well, no, it's... Specifically in Hebrews 1, everywhere where it says the first begotten, right? We cannot look at it in the English context and in the 21st century context. You cannot. Okay. You have to stop and look at it in the first century context. That the first begotten or the eldest son, if you will, Michael, in my case, not Walker, but Michael would be, he would be the senior child. He, he gets all honor and all glory. He gets a double portion of, of the inheritance, all these other things. But not only that, 
But Jehovah's Witnesses will admit that the Father, Jehovah, is eternal and is God, right? Mm -hmm. Well, you keep going in this, in Hebrews 1, and it is really clear that God the Father is speaking to God the Son and saying that your throne, O God, is forever. So that puts the lie to the idea that Jesus is a created being. Yeah. You you have to be able to say, that's not what that's saying. You are misinterpreting, unfortunately, you're misinterpreting because you're looking at it through a modern lens, what is very clearly being indicated as a place of authority, you know, yep. the prince, if you will. He's, he's the inheritor. He's the next in line after the father. And yet the father is saying, you're God, right? I mean, it's... Yeah, so we must interpret scripture by scripture and look at these different words in, in their context. And so even only begotten, that phrase is used of Isaac, who wasn't the only begotten. He wasn't even the first begotten of Abraham, right? right. There was Ishmael beforehand, but Ishmael wasn't the son of promise. Isaac was the, the only begotten. He was the, the set-apart one, the unique, the unique one. As Christ is the the unique one, not in a latter day saint sense that he was only begotten in a, a physical way, in the the natural sense that everybody is begotten. No, he was set apart and unique as the incarnate. It was so blasphemous. God, yes. It was so blasphemous. All right, let's let's do that. Let's keep walking through Hebrews one, um, and again realizing that they say Jesus is an angel. Well, verse 5 says, For to which of the angels did he, the Father, ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you? The rhetorical answer is none, right? And again, I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. None of them. And when he again brings the firstborn into the world, so firstborn again there doesn't speak of the firstborn of all creation, um, well, he is a firstborn of all creation, as Colossians 1 says, but it doesn't mean that he was the first created one, and then Jesus created through, um, he created everything else. Again, that's what Jehovah's Witnesses would say, that God created Jesus, Jesus created everything else. And I think we'll probably look at this next week when we look at um, modalism, or at least, um, what is it? It's... Um, it's a, a certain Absolutely. form of modalism. And they'll say that, um, goodness. So talking about the, the essence, the stuff, the being, again, the, the homoousius, this phrase comes out of uh, second century. So in the second century, or third century, so 200s, there was a guy who said that, yes, Jesus is of the same essence of the Father, but he meant that in a very different, very um, Gnostic sense. So, and he would use uh, a picture of the sun, and he would say that just as we can go outside, well, not today, but on a different day, we can feel the sunlight or the sunbeams. We are feeling the sun, which is the same essence of the the burning ball that is um, how many millions of miles away? Um, Ninety-three million. Ninety-three yeah. million miles away. So it takes seven minutes for that heat to get from that ball to where we can fill it but it's the same essence right it's just a, a further form of that essence and so that's what um, Jehovah's Witnesses kind of believe in when they say well Jesus was a firstborn of the Father he was created by the Father and then um, he created everything else they would say well the sunlight is the same as the sun kind of but not really it's a different mode of of the Father, and so we'll get into that a little bit later. But um, when it says "firstborn" here in verse six, um, that's not where we should allow our minds to go. But He is the preeminent One who comes into the world, and the Father says, "And let all the angels of God worship Him." That's a big deal, right? That Jesus accepts worship, and here the Father is saying He should be worshipped. Um, remember that Paul and who was at Silas in Acts, they didn't receive worship. They came and they said, oh, well, Silas, you, you must be 
Zeus. And Paul, you're the, the messenger, right? So you must be Hermes. So they bowed down and worshipped him. And they said, no, you guys get up right now because we're just mere men. Even angels, when they, when people in, in fear and awe, they try to worship them, they say, no, I'm not, I'm not God. I'm not worthy of worship. You get up right now. But here, the Father is saying the Son should be worshipped. And Jesus does accept worship. Remember, Thomas comes to him and he feels his hands, he feels his side, and he says, what? My Lord and my God, right? And he doesn't get rebuked, but he recognizes that Jesus is God, this one being of God. So what are those three words that, that we talked about when we speak of the Trinity that we should remember? They end in I-T-Y. Plurality. Plurality, so there's more than one. Right? Singularity. Singularity. There is but one God. Equality. And equality, right? Mm-hmm. So, again, that goes back to this modalistic idea um, that the Father isn't more God than the Son. The Son isn't more God than the Holy Spirit. Yes, they have different roles, as we talked about, but they are all equal in their, their deity, in their being of God, in their personhood of, or their, yes, their being of God, their substance and essence of God. All right, Um, let's continue on verse 7. And of the angels, he says, Who makes his angels winds, his ministers a flame of fire? But of the sun, he says, and this is your verse, Andy, you were talking about. So, again, it helps to have a distinction of who's talking here. So, but of the sun, talking about Jesus, right? He, that is the Father, says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. So, God... The Father says to the Son, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever, and righteousness is the scepter of his kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, speaking of the Father, has anointed you, the Son, with oil and gladness above your companions. And you, Lord, Yahweh, in the beginning laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands, speaking of Jesus. They will perish, but you remain. He is eternal, as we've talked about, right? All these different attributes that are ascribed to the Father also apply to the Son. You will remain, and they all will become old like a garment, and like a mantle, you will roll them up. So again, we see his wrath and his judgment, um, that that is something that the Son has. Like a garment, they also will be changed, but you are the same. He is immutable, unchangeable, always the same. Turn a few pages forward to Hebrews 13.8. He says, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? There is no change, no distinction in him, just as there is no change with the Father, no shifting of shadow, no changing at all. And your years will not come to an end. Again, eternality. But to which of the angels has he said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool of your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? That's a cool verse. That's the the purpose and ministry of the angels. They are to minister to us who will inherit salvation. Um, And Jesus ministers to us in a a different way. He is our, our mediator. He is our intercessor. Um, not ministering to us in the same way that the angels are ministering to us. So, yes, Hebrews 1 is a great chapter to highlight the deity of Christ and how he is set apart from his creation, even from the angels themselves. All right. I got this printout for you guys. I got it off of charm.org, which is... Uh, Matt's Clinton's website. It's a great resource. If you've never heard of it, you should definitely use it. What did you say about Matt's Clinton? That he's a brilliant man. He's what? And I'm jealous of him. I know, right? Yeah. But he's also really great. Uh, he's, he's gotten better. He has improved over the years. <laughs> yeah. So, in this, this list, um, there are several different aspects of the Trinity that are mentioned here. So um, the fact that he is called God, that's pretty plain, pretty basic, right? Um, we've mentioned some of those verses already. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. He was 
God. And as you mentioned, Andy, in Acts 5, that the Holy Spirit is called God. You didn't lie to God, or you didn't lie to man, you lied to God. You lied to the Holy Spirit, not to man. Um, so that's pretty straightforward. And then some of these, as with creator, speaking to the office that is held. That's a, an office, a, a position that is ascribed to each member of the Trinity. Um, I don't even know if member would be a proper way to, to state that. Each person of the Trinity. Um, yeah. <laughs> I hope I'm not a heretic. But, um, I definitely don't want to say part. I think that's a, a common thing that we can do just in our speech. And again, next week we'll talk about partialism. Um, that Jesus isn't part of God, right? He's not part of the Holy Spirit isn't part of God, but he, he is God. Yeah. But sometimes in our mind, because we are finite and he is infinite, we can misspeak. So we need to be especially careful with our words when we're talking about the the nature of God. So I don't know if member is a, a proper way to speak or not, but each person of God is called creator. Um, that office is ascribed to them. We saw that even in Hebrews chapter 1, that all things are created by him. And then um, that third one, that he resurrects, that's an, an act that God does, that God um, commits and actually, um, I can't think of the word I'm looking for, but it's something that is done by God. And each one of those, um, each person of the Godhead is credited with rising Jesus from the dead. Remember, he said that you tear down this temple and three days later, I will raise it from the dead. And it was God who raised him from the dead, the Father who raised him from the dead as well. And then also we see different attributes of God. So the fact that it's talking about God is everywhere or he is omnipresent. Um, that's an attribute of God that is attributed to Jesus in Matthew 28, 20. Um, says, I will be with you wherever you go, right? And then also, um, a couple of words that you can add to that one, to the everywhere for the Son, that Jesus is everywhere, that Jesus is omnipresent, is um, Matthew 18, 20. So just 10 chapters before. And I'll read that to you real quick. So Matthew 18, 20 says, it's a verse that's often taken out of context, but still shows the omnipresence of God. It says, For where two or three have gathered together in my name, Jesus says, I am there in their midst. So that speaks of the omnipresence of the Son as well. And then uh, John 1, verse 48. I'll start in verse 47. And see what other attribute of of God you can pick out in these verses. John 1, 47, 48. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. So that speaks of his omnipresence, of him being everywhere. What other attribute does that speak of? Omniscient? Yeah, he is omniscient. He is, yeah, uh, Matt wrote it down as all-knowing. So you can add to that list too if he didn't include that one. So John 1, 47, 48, speak of the omniscience of the Lord. And then one more verse you can add to that. I think we're pretty short on time. Is omniscient or um, well, yeah, John 148 and 147-48 speak of his omniscience and his omnipresence because he said, you were under the tree and I saw you. I, I knew beforehand. Um, and Philip was astonished and amazed. <laughs> Jesus said, you're, you believe because of that? You're going to see much more incredible things than that. Um, but also John 4-29 speaks of Jesus' omniscience. He says, come and see a man. Well, Jesus doesn't, but 
the, the woman says, come and see a man who told me all things that I have done. Is this not the Christ? So Jesus recognized a woman at the well said, no, you, you've had five husbands. The husband you're with now isn't even your husband. You're not married to him. Um, recon, or displaying his omniscience. And, and she recognized that and went and told the, the village. Um, and then one more thing that isn't on this list that I wanted to throw out there. Um, and I wrote it down on mine in between speaks and love just because there was a little bit of room there. Um, is the fact that the Trinity, the, the triune God, forgives sin. Um, we see that in Matthew 9, verses 2 and 6. And then also in Luke 7, 47 through 49, is where Jesus forgives sin. Jesus forgives sin in Matthew what? Matthew 9, verses 2 and 6. And then back under the Father, Isaiah 43:25 says that only God can forgive sin. And so when Jesus forgives the sin of the, the paralyzed man, the people watching recognize, like, who is this man who's blaspheming? Only God can forgive sin. They were correcting the fact that only God can forgive sin. They were incorrecting the fact that he was blaspheming because he himself was God. Um, and then... Yeah, there are a number of different things that we can add to that list, but that list will give us a good place to start. Again, recognizing that Jesus and the Holy Spirit hold the offices that are preserved for God alone. They act in ways that only God can act, like resurrecting from the dead. And they have attributes that are solely um, belonging to God alone. So... Take those and, and use those. Maybe go through those. Um, I was hoping to have a chance to go through those today, but use those for a couple of different reasons. One, apologetically, to be able to give a reasonable defense for the, the faith that we have in our, our Lord, setting apart Christ as Lord, and also to to worship and to realize that our, our God is beyond comprehension, that he did take on flesh and that he is um, in... Three, three persons manifested, which is a trip. Um, it's one of those things we'll never wrap our minds around, but it should cause us to, to fall on our face and worship and realize how how indescribable he truly is. Somebody close this out in prayer. What? <laughs> so I just found a paper on my desk. I didn't know what to do. Sorry, what Pray for us, Travis. Yes, yes, I'll do that. So... Dear God, I do thank you for this that you've provided for us today, Lord, just to glorify yourself in this manner. It's just amazing. And we thank you for allowing us to be here and showing us this, uh, re revealing more of yourself to us. Thank you for Tyler and leading this group. Father, we just love you again. We praise your name. And we, we lift up Christ to you in his name. Amen. Amen.